Are you tired of putting yourself last? Of taking care of everybody else's needs and powering through to meet the next set of impossible standards? In our fast-paced society, we lose touch with our intrinsic worth, with the ability to value ourselves for who we are right now. Instead of living life exhausted, frustrated, and disconnected from your authentic self, maybe it's time to put yourself back in the life you've worked so hard to create. Join radio host and life choreographer Laura Cheadle and learn how to build your dreams and live your sparkle using the five steps of flaunt. Find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Welcome to Flaunt, Build Your Dreams and Live Your Sparkle. I'm Laura Cheadle, and today we are going to talk about the intersection between joy and our own personal happiness, satisfaction, and fulfillment with success, and how living our sparkle and living our best life not only makes us feel good and happy, but it enriches our relationships, both personally as well as professionally. And in talking about that, we are going to bring on Dr. Ken Keyes. He is an author, speaker, podcast host, and coach. Now, he has got such a wealth of experience and knowledge and information. I personally feel like this show could last six hours. But hey, in the interest of time today, we will keep it at our usual hour, and hopefully you will be as intrigued with his work as I am, and you will seek him out, go to his website, read some of his books, and learn more about his work. Now, he is the foremost global authority on behavioral assessment strategies and processes an expert in leadership, purpose, and wellness. And what I like about that is many people don't integrate that wellness and that purpose piece into leadership. But oh boy, it's my belief we truly cannot be effective leaders without having our own personal individual purpose and without wellness. He has authored over 4 million words of content, including 500 articles, four books, and a dozen assessments. So with that, welcome to my show. Wow. With that introduction, I'm just going to look around the room and say, who's that? (laughs) Well, I would love for you to just start right off and tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are, and what you do, and how specifically you kind of began to marry the concepts of leadership and wellness, personal growth, professional growth. Well, let me ask or answer the last one first. So when we think about it, one of our value system is to make sure that we develop holistically. So it's not any single item. All of these items together are important. And on their own, they're important, but really we want to look at a holistic model. So that has always been the philosophy of CRG, which is the company that I own, which happens to be, by the way, our 40th anniversary this month. And and I've been in the industry 30 years this month. So we've been here for a little while. And if I scroll back, everybody says, well, Ken, you must obviously grew up in in a family that was into this. No, I grew up on a dairy farm. Actually, I was a dairy farmer. So... Uh, This is hardly even close to that at this point, but I went on this journey 
I always knew, even when I was younger, Laura, that, that I was to be a communicator and an encourager of others. However, my grade nine English teacher told me that I would never amount to anything because I couldn't read or write. So when I did my master's degree, they discovered I was dyslexic. So if we go back far enough, that really wasn't talked about learning disabilities or some of those things that came into play. And that's why verbally I always seemed to be strong is because I didn't read or write. Now, to think when I was 16, 17, or 18 that I would become an author and an author of all that content, not even, I couldn't fathom that. I couldn't fathom. So those of you that are listening, my encouragement is that, you know, life sometimes goes in different directions. Once you sort of get rid of some of the change chains, if you want to call it that, or the burdens or oppression from other people's opinions, whatever description you want to use, and then you can be free of that. So my journey was, as I went and I left the dairy farm with my dad, and then I started to get into agricultural field, which is my expertise, which that's really where my health and wellness comes from, because I have a diploma in nutrition and genetics from my agricultural college days. Ah. And, and as a nutritionist for dairy cattle, we always looked at the diet. We always looked at the environment for performance. Well, why don't we do that as humans? We actually probably feed our pets, our dogs and cats, better than we feed ourselves, right? And how we treat ourselves. You wouldn't take the number one racehorse in the world, have it stay up all night, you know, eating Smarties, watching TV and on its phone before it's going to be in the Kentucky Derby, would you? But we try to do that as human beings and we can't figure out why we can't function. So don't get me going on that. And then from there, my journey went into sales and I was the number one sales performer of an agriculture company and then moved into sales training, which was back in the late 80s when I started in this profession and then ran across and came in contact with Dr. Terry Anderson, who founded CRG, who was the original author of the personal style indicator and, you know, the style stuff that you are familiar with and my book, Large More Like Me, which I've recently authored. And so then we progressed over the years of moving more and more into this development of leadership, taking the wellness and health side of things. And then my purpose in life, in 1989, I hired a coach. So we talked about, you know, listeners, you know, how do I go to the next level? A lot of times it's really getting in contact with people like you to serve them as a coach, as somebody to support them. I hired a coach in 1989 when it wasn't even a big deal. I mean, people weren't into that. And I worked for six months with Mike, and he helped me to get clear about what my purpose is. So my purpose in life is to help others to live, lead, and work on purpose. So to help you to realize your potential, because in that space, as part of your introduction, is that our highest level of fulfillment, our highest level of meaning, our highest level of joy, if you want to call it that, comes from living in operating in our purpose operating in our personal style, understanding what that means and how can I play to my strengths and not have to worry about my weaknesses as much. I'll clarify that later. And then it's just been a journey over all these years. There's this invention that came up oh, sometimes in the 90s called the computer. Oh, that's what it was. Bill Gates said that nobody's going to need a computer at their desk. Hello, you know, there's Bill. I think he's a bit of a billionaire now because we all have one is that all of a sudden the computer showed me the program word that had all these words misspelled. So now my writing really is through my fingertips. And because there's all these red lines underneath it, then I started to develop my writing. And when I did my master's degree, it was mostly paper-based. So projects, I would go to school one weekend a month, and I'd have to write like a 40-page paper on every class for a couple of years. Well, help me to refine my writing. I, some days I hated it. 
And then all of a sudden I said, well, what's my voice? And I started to write about those things that were most passionate about me. And that's the rest is history. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. There's a couple of things that I wanted to tag on um, and talk about a little bit more. You mentioned that this is a journey and that it took you a while to find your purpose and that you actually utilized a coach to help you do that. And I just wanted to point out for the listeners, I too, I was a corporate attorney for 10 years before I found my voice and found my purpose. I went through a lot of things. You were in the agricultural, the dairy farm, before you transitioned to find your voice. I think it's important to point out to listeners who might be thinking, I don't know it. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know it. I don't know that it is a journey and it is a process. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how they might go about finding their passion, finding their purpose, doing what you and I have done and being happy. Well, for sure. Thank you for that question. And by the way, and I was just clarifying with you, I have a gift for everybody, which yes. is gonna, we'll talk about at, at the end of the show so that you can stay with us, where you're going to be able to get a copy of my latest purpose book. So when we think about purpose, I think you make a really good point around, usually the question is, it's just too big. What's your purpose, purpose, Ken? And so we want to break it down. So first of all, don't get anxious about it. Okay, if I don't know it, then here's what your purpose is. Your purpose is to find your purpose. And so that, that becomes my job. That becomes my responsibility. In discovery is reserved for the person seeking, the person looking. So I remember having lunch with uh, Dr. Richard Bowles, who wrote the book, What Colors Your Parachute? He's now just recently passed away at 91, I think just a year or so ago, uh, when we're recording this. You could be listening to this podcast in 2050. So anyways, uh, as, and you are for sure, everybody's listening to your shows over and over again. Are they not? Absolutely. Yeah, of Absolutely. Course. <laughs> so the point being, I asked him the question, you know, he was in career development for 50 years. I said, you know, why with all the assessments, all the tools, are there so many people who are unclear about their purpose? And he responded immediately with this comment, is that people have not been willing to do the work. You know what? To discover your purpose takes effort. Just showing up and going to work and coming back home and watching TV and not working on yourself is not going to uncover that. You know, elite athletes, you know, you think about the Super Bowl, or you think about you know baseball, you think about hockey or whatever. They didn't just show up at the arena and all of a sudden start operating. They practiced, they worked hard, in many cases, hours and hours a day to excel. Guess what? It's not that our life is a burden or this is even work, but I need to do the work. I need to do the discovery. So I invested with this coach. I hand wrote about 80 pages of narrative. So part of our process for finding our passion is our life leads, leaves clues. And I break it down in the book to say, let's start paying attention to what I call segments. So what I mean segments, what are the senses and the smells in the environments that really excite you? We get people to not pay attention what's negative. We get them what anything that's neutral, forget that. Where is it that your, your energy is just high? That I don't believe in the concept of motivation. I believe in inspiration. So if we're inspired, um, what it does is it compels me, it draws me, it brings me in. If some of you listening love the game of golf, and I say, oh, we have a beautiful weather outside, and we have a foursome ready, and would you like to join us as far as part of this 
the golf game. It, you don't even have to think about it. All of a sudden, like you're there, you're, you snap, you're there. So not that life's always that, but can we have the majority of it that way? Example, we're on this podcast together. This is not work, is it for you? No, it's fun. It's enjoyable. And so for, for the, those of us that are in the zone, and here's the sad stats. It's about 10% of the population who actually are living their life on purpose. When Gallup did the study a few years ago about what percentage of the global workforce is disengaged or don't like work at some level, it's 87%. So that is a sad state of affairs. And by the way, everybody that's listening, this is not about being self-centered. This is really about being self-honoring. So if I'm self-honoring, that's when I bring my highest self, my best self, my self that can engage and serve others. Now, first of all, I really want to caution people not to freak out that if I don't know my purpose, as you said earlier, first of all, don't get stressed about that. Just make a decision that you're going to go on this journey of starting to uncover. Now, who I am now versus 30 years ago, I'm a different person, even though 30 years ago, I had clarified that I was to help others to find their purpose. It has evolved. It has grown. Guess what? Podcast didn't exist 20 years ago. In fact, when I got in this industry, email didn't even exist. Yes, I'm still young. But the reality <laughs> is, is how I'm doing what I'm doing has changed, evolved, and moved differently. We just launched our first e-course. Well, that was something that didn't even exist a few years ago as well. So this whole online, just-in-time, consume, you know, amazing content, as such as you're aggregating online for people, that wasn't there. So there's really no excuse. So my encouragement as you go through, so what are some senses? Where are some people? What is the learning where you do the learning and you read about it and you love it? And I'm not talking about like gossip from National Enquirer. I'm talking about things that really, as far as development, you know, the world's changing from an economy point of view. There's no such thing really as careers. There's really expertise. So what's the expertise you bring and what do you bring to the world to be able to have a gift, to develop, to serve, to help others that you are passionate about. Now, I do want to caution one thing. This is a real debate in our space. Passion on, on its own is not going to fulfill all purposes. There might be some skills you need to develop. I've had to develop technology skills to be able to do this passion of speaking and encouraging others or doing leadership. So, I mean, that always hasn't been something that's been enjoyable. Or there could be other skills and competencies such as what we teach around emotional intelligence. You know, you could be in the, the, a passionate role doing what you like, but being a jerk or an individual who is not skilled interpersonally with other people. We know that one of the number one reasons that leaders fail is a lack of emotional intelligence. And number two, the second reason is a arrogance that I don't need to develop my emotional intelligence. So uh, that is a skill uh, level where it's not just passion, but I need to have the skills that come alongside me. Lord, to be able to serve others, to help others. And that's where it's never done. We are continuously learning and growing, you know, like for the rest of our lives as, as much as possible. I love that you said that. There are several things that I loved about that. I can be in my purpose. I am in my purpose. I love being in my purpose. But you're right. Not everything about being in my purpose purpose is always a walk in the park. There are some skills that we need to develop that might not be that much fun to develop. 
for example, I went to my accountant today and mm. got a new form and I have to do my taxes. I don't love doing my taxes, but when I do my taxes, it's part of my business, which is part of my purpose. And that also leads me right into the book, Why Aren't You More Like Me?, which is a phen phenomenal book. And for, I'll have you describe it more, but just for purposes of my comment here, one of the things that it talks about is first, knowing your personal style, and then second, knowing the personal style of, of other people so you can shift your style and become a better communicator with them. Mm. And as you were talking about the leadership and having that low emotional intelligence and thinking they are too arrogant to have to shift, it's not fun sometimes to suspend my own way of communicating so I can communicate in a way that is understood by the person that I am communicating with. That can be frustrating, but the result is enormously satisfying. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Hey, you uh, you don't need me as, as a guest on the show. You can just teach this right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know it well. For those of you who are listening, I mean, there's, a, there's all kinds of stuff out in the marketplace where people talk about personality. We define it slightly differently. And so let's just go through some of that so that we can equip everybody. We do believe, do believe, and we do have a bias, I admit it, that we have one of the best assessments globally on how to understand yourself called the personal style indicator. Other people call it personality. Personality in our model is the totality of who you are. So your wellness, your self-worth, your values, all these things. So we talked about this holistic perspective. So first of all, what is personal style? So everybody that are listening, if you have two kids or more, we ask the question, are they have the same parents? And most people say, yes, they do, the same environment. And it says, are they the same? They said, no, 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 they're different. I said, well, what makes them different? Well, we believe that you are biologically born with preferences, what we call personal style, what other people call personality. Not right, not wrong, just simply different. Now, I remember one coach said, well, listen, I can coach anybody to be somebody else. And I said, I don't agree with that because here's the reality. If there wasn't some part of our body that was, or sort of our personal style that wasn't consistent throughout our lifetime, then I'd be like you or a tomorrow and you be like me and we could never count on us showing up tomorrow because tomorrow I'd be somebody else. And so we believe this is a foundational piece that's consistent throughout our lifetime that we can build our life on that we can count on. Now, our personal style, we make a statement is that sometimes our greatest strength can become our greatest weakness as well as our style is not an excuse for our behavior. So part of this is this intentional, deliberate living where I understand my personal style, I know my preferences, and now I can be intentional with my career, the work style that I want to do, the, what the implications that it has with every single relationship that I have. So here's the research. Talent Smart, which is one of our competitors or colleagues, if you may, said, what percentage of people in the world and that includes people listening to the show right now, will be successful or realize their potential without the knowledge of their personal style. And it was only 2%. Wow. It, so it means that 98% of the population will not realize their potential in, until they have this consciousness, this awareness, this emotional intelligence of how they're showing up. Now, one of my, I just had an interview on my podcast with an amazing lady uh, Tasha, who I'll refer you to, uh, you have to interview her. She's just stellar. 
good. She did did some research on self-awareness. And so part of, and that's our whole space. We we're helping to create self-awareness, which leads to self-management, which leads to self-mastery. Her research shows this. What percentage of people believe that what they think and feel about themselves is how other people see them? What do you think the number is? What percentage of population believe that they're conscious and awake and how I show up is how other people see me? What do you think that number is? You know, that's that's interesting because part of me thinks that most people think they're really self-aware and they're not. But then there's another part of me that wonders, maybe people don't even really understand what self-awareness is, or they think it's some woo-woo metaphysical thing. So I'm not even sure how to answer that. Well, the answer is 95% of the population, so most of the listeners, think you are conscious and and competent or have some understanding of how I show up. Then what they did is they did research with all these uh, candidates or these people that are part of the research study, said, what percentage of people... Does their self-awareness align with how other people experience them? And it was only 10%. Wow. 10%. So 85% of the population, you know what? You think that you know yourself, but you don't. How you show up, how people are experiencing you, are, you are not conscious. You're not awake. You're not aware of it. And it's not right or wrong. It's just the reality of it is that a lot of times this is where this arrogance comes in or this lack of emotional intelligence. We've all met some individuals who really are inappropriate, who are turning people off, and they're not even, they're clueless, right? Have you met oh. some of those people? Oh, we have. And so we're trying to remove the clueless to being competent and self-aware and conscious. So all of us have a personal style. Well, that also means everybody we meet has a personal style. And their personal style could be similar to ours or it could be different. And what you were talking about earlier is our three-step process. We call it translating, suspending, style shifting. Translating is simply this, is can I read and understand other people? People are constantly leaving us clues about who they are, what they need, what they want from us. But we're not paying attention. We have no framework. We have no models. We have no um, words to sort of describe behavior. And so we just awkwardly and as best as we can try to interact with that person. We can't figure out why it's not working. And that's because we haven't, you haven't created the self-awareness. You haven't created the understanding. You haven't taken our assessment, the personal style indicator, to go to the next level. From suspending, which I believe, Laura, you were talking about it. It is the most difficult thing to do. And here's what we mean by suspending, ladies and gentlemen, who are listening. And that is the ability to take your biases, your offenses, and remove them to stop them. I love uh, Dr. David Burns' work, is nobody offends you unless you let them. You know, the whole world seems to be offended now. And here's the reality. Offense, being offended by everybody else, is self-centeredness. It's also dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. And so as part, because now, as soon as I'm offended, I can't build relationship with you. It, it, it is a block, it's a hindrance. And so nobody offends you unless you let them. So Dr. David Burden's book around feeling good, actually I got to know about that book from Brian and Ann, which ah. are our, our friends, right? So I now quote that, is that we are 100% response, uh, responsible for our response. So first of all, what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in neutral and getting out of the way of the relationship. And then we went to talk about style shifting, what we teach in our report and in the book, Why It's More Like Me, or what does that person need and want from me? What are the things that I shouldn't do with that person if I can try to avoid it? What are some of the things that I 
can do? What do they need and want from me? So now we use the word, I am becoming a student of style. And when I say style, that means personal style or what some other people call personality. And from that, oh, I'm so aware, I'm so awake. Some of you got up this morning, your significant other, partner, friend, whatever, they did something and you thought they got up this morning just to offend you, just to upset you. You're giving them way too much credit. They were just being themselves. And a lot of times we're offended by other people's actions, what they do, what they don't do, because their preferences are different than you. And our preferences are our life filters. Those life filters are affecting how we think about people. One of my colleagues, Dr. Mitch Javidi, we've co-authored a book called Deliberate Leadership, which is the sister book to Why Aren't You More Like Me? And he, teach, he does most of his work in law enforcement. He says, all of us, including law enforcement, have implicit bias. So we have this sort of inherent bias and we bring it to the table. Now, if I don't suspend that bias, then I am actually not open to really hearing you, listening to you, you know, some of those things that come into play, you're holding my book, Why Aren't You More Like Me, and nodding your head as we're on video and everybody else is on audio. And it's so powerful to kind of go to the next level. Even how we parented, we have two children, Tim and Steph. They're now in their 20s. And they're completely different kids from a style perspective. How we parented them was completely different because their needs were different. And a lot of times parents are failing because they don't really understand their kids. They want them to be like them. They don't understand that they have three kids. They're all different. All their needs are different. So I'd be approaching them strategically with intentionality to be able to serve them and build a relationship. And a lot of times we have broken relationships and families because they don't understand one another. Not because somebody woke up this morning to break them, but they just have not done the work to understand each other uniquely. Right. I am so glad you brought in the family piece because in my own family, I am really high energy. I'm really an extrovert. I, I like to do things quickly. One of my sons is like that. My other son is more introverted. Now, my passion was my kids. When I had them at home, they were my absolute passion. And that was my purpose was to be this amazing mom. And a lot of times I didn't understand what was going on with my introverted child. There were moments I thought, what's wrong? I'm doing something wrong. He's doing something wrong. What's the problem? What's the problem? And because of my passion to be a good mom, I didn't understand it. And my passion actually made it worse sometimes because I was always poking at him. Come on, come on, be more like me. Be more like me. Be more like me. And it took me some knowledge and some studying and some practice to realize, oh, he's different. In order to fulfill my purpose to be a good mom, I need to step back, realize his needs, and not boom and explode on him, but to step back, slow down, speak softly, allow him time to acclimate. So there were several steps along the way. Mm -hmm. um, for me, fulfilling my purpose to be a good mom, that really helped by learning some of these style assessments. So it's not just leadership in the workplace, it's leadership in the family as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and interesting, you know, when we do this work around the world with companies, we're now in 12 languages and heading up in that number, is people do this in their workshops at work or in a leadership training se session. But very quickly, somebody in the room says, that's why 
my 16 year old son and I are not getting along. That's why I'm having significant stress with my significant other. Um, all of a sudden that is what's most important to people. I remember we were doing a workshop for a company has about 50,000 employees in what the director of uh, the vice president of HR, which sorry, was a lawyer. He says in the program, we will have no personal examples in this workshop. This is business only. What he wasn't understanding is that whoever we are, we take wherever we go. Yes. If a person has better relationships at home and more anchored and more fulfilling relationships, then I'm going to be less stressed and I'm going to be more effective at work in both ways. We can have the other situation where some of you are listening and you can't figure out why this individual, this staff member, or this boss, they really, you don't get along with them at all because they're completely different. And a lot of times what happens is leaders don't understand the differences with other individuals. And so they're trying to lead in a certain way, but they have not been equipped. I mean, that's where a lot of times what happens, 70% of people believe, 70% of people believe that their boss or their supervisor is incompetent. And uh, well, they just have not been, it goes back. They just not had the skills. They usually get promoted without having the training. So whatever I've done. So let's say I was in retail and all of a sudden I'm the supervisor for the shift Did I get the training to be a leader of other people. So most of us were good at something along the way. And then all of a sudden they give us leadership. It happens in law enforcement too. I'm a corporal or a sergeant now, but I get the training to be a leader usually years after I get promoted. Well, how many of us would like our pilots for all our flights to be trained after they fly for us for two years? No. Or our doctors or anything like that. So there's many professions where they realize competence is needed before I'm going to put you in the position. But when we think about this management of people, a lot of cases that doesn't occur, that doesn't happen as part of it. So for all those, those of you who are listening, this is not complicated. It's actually simple. It's powerful. But if you don't look at it, being in denial doesn't mean that you don't have a personal style. Every single person does. So once you know yourself and your kids know themselves, because we even have, I've used this in high schools and educators, universities around the world now are using the tool uh, with kids that are 15 years of age or older. So once they have comprehension of the word list and how it works, they are just being transformed by understanding themselves. Now, I want to go one way, if it's okay with you, Ms. Host, is that can we go towards our definition of introversion and extroversion? Would you be open to that? Absolutely. Please do. So when we develop our tools, when we think about the world, if I say the word extrovert and everybody that's driving and listening or maybe you're walking or jogging, is that you're thinking that it's this outgoing person that's high energy, very similar to you, right, Laura? Yes. So yeah, okay. Yet that is not exactly our de definition. Our definition of an extrovert is somebody who wants to be in charge of the environment wants to tell the environment what's to do. They see the environment biophysically is something to be in charge of. An introvert on, introvert, on the other hand, is somebody where they see the environment where I want to be careful in, I want to be cautious in. And so the stereotypical definition of an extrovert just being people-oriented and outgoing actually doesn't fit because there are some people who are extroverted who are task-oriented. And what we mean by that's what we call our behavioral action individual. They want to be in charge. They want to do things, but they're nonverbal. They're task oriented, but they're extroverted. So a lot of times people will tag them as introverted. They're not, you know, they won't talk to you. They don't say anything to you, but it's not because they're fearful. It's because they don't want to, they're not interested in talking with you. <laughs> and so they are completely in charge of their space. Now here's the other side. 
there are some people who are listening to the show who what we call cognitive analysis. They're introverted. You're introverted. You're task-oriented, but you are extremely verbal. So I said, well, that really messes with people too. So where our introversion and extroversion comes from is from the reticular activating system. The people who are extroverted actually, based on the science, has fewer nerve fibers in their brain stem. And the reason being is now I can take more stimulus. I can engage the environment more. I can tell the environment. So when the red light comes up and it's two in the morning in your city and there's no traffic there, a red light is simply a suggestion to an extrovert. It's not, red does not mean stop. So an introvert might be more careful, more cautious, get out of their car, push the walk button at two o'clock, even though there's no cars around before they proceed to go through the green light. Now, I'm not suggesting anybody here should break the law. That's not what I'm saying. It's a metaphor or a story for how we approach life. Now, one of the things we do in Why Aren't You More Like Me and in the Personal Style Indicator is that a lot of times people are categorized, oh, you're an extrovert, you're an introvert. But here's the reality a very high percentage of population are balanced where our introversion and extroversion is contextual. And I've done this program, this workshop 1000 times over the last 30 years. There's no way that anybody can convince me differently, but there are many people where finally they get a tool, they get an experience through this book where they are honored for the complexity of who they are. They're not put in the extroverted box. They're not put it in the introverted box. Many of us are, we are all a blend and that intensity level is revealed through our assessment about maybe you're really high extroversion, maybe you're really high introversion, or you could be anywhere on that continuum. The other two continuums that we use, we talk about people and task. Some people are really high people, some are really high task and in between. And then the other one, which is unique to us, and that's our own model called verbal and nonverbal, meaning the amount of language that a person uses. Now, I know that lots of times um, language has been linked to gender, but the reality is, is that uh, language is linked to style as well. So if you have what we call the affective expressive, which, Laura, you have some of that, right? Just, just a bit. Just a little <laughs> bit, is that they'll want to use more words. My son is very high in that uh, dimension as well. And so when we, when we were coaching him, when he was studying for high school, we actually did verbal interactions with him. We would read, we would talk, and he would talk, and then he would actually fall asleep talking. And then my daughter, who is more nonverbal, more task-oriented, get out of my room, don't come into my space, I don't want you to be here. The other thing is, is that she's not, unless she's in the mood, she's not a person who likes to be hugged. So if you're a parent who loves hugging, and then your child doesn't hug back, then you could actually feel rejected. Well, right. that's, not, that's not the case at all with that individual. They just appreciate their personal space. And are you honoring that uniqueness? So I want to say this to the whole audience. Every single person that's listening uh, is valuable. Every single person has the perfect style for you. Uh, you know, I'm kind of into the divine intervention program. But what I mean by that is that you have the perfect style for your call, your purpose, your assignment in life. And a lot of times I don't want people to start trying to be like somebody else. Now that doesn't mean we don't develop because our greatest strength could become our greatest weakness. Meaning Laura, if you only use this extroverted verbal method to interact with everybody, then, then you would start having this sort of divisiveness with your son. So you learn yeah. to, 
you learn to adjust. So what we're suggesting, those of you that, again, that are listening, is we're not changing who you are, but you are using your highest level of skill to adjust your approach to intentionally build relationships with people who are different than you. Thank you for saying that, the intentional piece. Yes, intentionally build relationships. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So I'll take a breath. And you as the host can just help me out on where, where do you want us to go? Because you know this information from here. I do. No, I wanted to continue along that same path. It's the intentionally choosing to build relationships. Because your work is about knowing yourself, which is this personality style, knowing your passion and your purpose and how to fulfill your passion and your purpose. Because we started off the show saying not many people are actually living their passion and you help people, and so do I, uncover that passion. So that's kind of the first little step. Mm. Great, we figured out our passion. It's to help, help people, it's to whatever it is, make a widget, milk cows, create whatever it is find your passion. Second step is how to successfully move into that passion. And that's where I think a lot of your work through this, why aren't you more like me and personal style indicator comes into play. We have our passion. Most of us need other people to either help us with our passion to help us build it or to work with. And unless we know who we are and who they are, we will not have a successful business relationship or personal relationship. And this book helps us determine how we, what our personal style is and how we best communicate, like you said, in an intentional way so we can both grow and develop. And what I mean was wanting to kind of talk about with that intentionality is, yes, I'm very verbal. Yes, I'm very energetic. I'm all of that. And through your work, I discovered something really valuable about myself. And what was that? That was <laughs> when I ask somebody to do something or when I want them to do something, I can talk for 10 minutes about it and then I lose them. And then I get frustrated because they didn't do what I ask. And then I say, do you not care? What's the problem? Why didn't you do what I ask? Well, through your work, I have discovered if I want somebody who is more nonverbal, who is more task oriented to do that task, I have to cut the words and I have to lead with the task. The task is complete the spreadsheet. Then I can backfill with some of the information on what I want done in the spreadsheet or why it matters. But if I lead with why it matters and what I want them to do and end with, hey, create a spreadsheet, I will never have a satisfactory relationship with them or a conclusion <laughs> because I have led in my personal style. I have not led with their personal style. So I am the one that's left dissatisfied. Absolutely. And hey, I couldn't have said it better myself. When, when we think about individuals, and you make a very good point, a lot of times, and here's where our greatest success has been globally, organizations, companies, or teams that have everybody complete the assessment. 
Because it's not just the leader, it's not just the parent. Everybody needs to know themselves so that we really are equipping the global audience, the global group uh, language to describe self, but also to describe work. And a lot of times, Laura, what happens is that we tend to hire ourselves or, you know, who do we have chemistry? People who are similar to us, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking. Well, maybe I need to actually hire or have a team member who is opposite of me, who's actually quite irritating from a preference point of view, but it's what the business needs. It's what the role needs. I mean, one of our other tools, we call it the job style indicator. And what that person does is they analyze the nature of the position. So I have a job fit. So when we talk about energy, a lot of times, if we, if we ever got into a job or a role in the job or the role didn't end up as we envisioned it, right? And here's what happens is that if everybody in the team is equipped with this language and this tool is now I can start describing to you where my frustrations are, where there's a breakdown. And rather than seeing me as a prima donna, somebody who is like arrogant and full of myself, I'm just communicating to you, you know what, you just gave Ken these new roles or responsibilities, but that's not who he is. And here's the reality for everybody that's listening. Sometimes we we get into positions where we feel guilty. We beat ourselves up because our engagement level is going down. Our motivation is going down. I believe that procrastination is actually a clue rather than a judgment. Is that maybe the role and responsibility is not a fit for me. And if it's not a fit for me, then I cannot sustain my engagement. So rather than feeling guilty, I need again to be intentional and help understanding, okay, no role or job is perfect, like we talked about before. But how, how, how do I have what I'm doing, who I'm being, the majority of my preferences naturally? So I can be in the zone, in the flow, whatever word you want to use. And then what tools can I use to communicate that so I can have the people playing to their strengths? You know, we use a, a statement in our workshop, uh, developing your uh, weaknesses is highly overrated. Hmm. Now, is... You need to understand your, your style, which you do. So part of your style, when I think about the weakness side, is that expressive people don't like the word discipline, don't like the word structure. You know, you were talking about your accountant like it was a root canal. And I, I get it. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I understand it. And, and, and for the audience, this is true. So it's not bad or, or good. But it doesn't mean that you can't do your taxes. I think the IRS would not really be all that happy if you said, listen, my style is expressive, so I don't do detailed work. That's not true. But you hired an accountant. You hire a bookkeeper. You try to offload as much of that, what you dislike doing, to those people so that that can you can be best served. And so that's part of that intentionality where now all of a sudden it's not so much careers because careers, there's a lot, there's tools out there called interest inventories. I'm not a big believer in them anymore because there's 40,000 job titles. Plus there's thousands of entrepreneurial ventures that have no sort of framework for it. What we do is we have roles and responsibilities within opportunities because interest gifts and talents are separate measures from personal style. So my preference is you and I could have the identical personal style indicator score. One who wants to be a podcast host, another person who wants to be a neurosurgeon. It's possible. Right. And so my son is very expressive like you, but he's also a pilot, but he loves flying. So his discipline, yes, I'm glad that he has a checklist and he has all those things that he has before he flies. By the way, he could fly before he was legally allowed to drive on the road. 
Wow. So at 16, 17, he already was a, a, a licensed pilot. So passion was trumping some of his restrictions that he would have in his style because he had so much interest, so much um, um, abilities or talent in that area that that's what his focus was. So for when we think about it, all of this fits together. We started this whole show talking about holistic, right? Now, I want to go a sidebar because I know we have only a few minutes left. And I want to make sure one of the other sister tools to this, and it's chapter eight in Wired Tomorrow Like Me, is the values preference indicator. Yeah. So, so the values preference indicator is a sister tool to the personal style indicator. And I'm, I've done several workshops, even in this last month. It's always just a rock star event for anybody that comes to that workshop. And we talk about how would, what would it be like if you could make the right decision every time? And here's what we mean by that. We believe we have what we call behavioral values. These are internal motivators. And when we don't feel fulfilled, when we are struggling, when we lack motivation. Now, if you didn't get sleep last night and you stayed up till 3 a.m., that's something different. But if I have this continuous sort of struggle in life and I'm not connected, are your values, your core values being fulfilled? Now, I'm not talking about contextual values like family. We're talking about internal motivators, like one of the values is challenge, one of the values is independence, one of the values is tranquility. Give an example, I had a client many years ago, he had a 400% turnover in his employee group. Well, it was a credit collection department, and he was hiring people with the value tranquility is one of their top values. Now, all of us are stunned by it that are listening to this. But here's what his motivation was. He wanted to have the nicest credit collection department in, in the country. And so this national firm, you would know who it was if I said, but I'm not going to say who it is. But what we did is we helped him to understand that one of the fears and one of the challenges that people have if tranquility is a need is that they hate conflict. Well, what happens on every call if I'm a credit collection department? There's conflict. That's good. So, and, and based on our work, it actually makes people who have high tranquility biophysically sick and ill, and so they can't sustain it, and that's why they had a 400% turnover. We were able to, in 90 days, drop it to 40% turnover, just like that, by shifting his, his mindset and hiring people where the value set was aligned with the job. So the question I have for people, first of all, do you know what your core values are? If you don't, then you need to do that step. When I know my core values, then only you as the individual can confirm that, that those values are most important to you. This is an internal piece. I don't care, you know, as a psychologist, I don't, I'm not qualified to tell you who you are. We use methods and processes to be able so that you can know yourself, so that you can have an independent life and not a codependent life with us. From that, then you look at these values and you say, okay, if these are my top five, six, seven values, are they being met or not? If they're being met, what am I doing on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, month-to-month basis for that value to be fulfilled? Let's say friendship is one of your values. Am I hanging out with my friends? Am I going to movies with my girlfriends or my guy friends or my friends, whatever? Am I having dinner parties? What, what's the deal? Or am I just going out for coffee you know, at Starbucks with, with them? Or if one of my values is independence and I'm thinking about a new job, but I'm going to have all these micromanagers around me. If it's a negative, then of course, I, that means that I either have to change what I'm doing, adjust something what I'm doing, or take it off the list. Because there's the other side. Have you ever had people who say their family's important to them, but they never spend any time with them? Oh, yeah. So part of this filtering process is that 
either own the value or get it off the list. I remember doing a workshop. This is actually when I first started, 1989. There was 20 people in the room. There was a 22-year-old in the back of the room. And seven, his top seven values, every single value had a minus beside it. He was actually almost in tears at this point. And I said, why do you think every value is a minus? He said, my whole life, I've lived what my parents want, not what I want. And so my challenge for everybody is that once you know those values, now you take the steps one by one to start making sure that what's in your life represents those values. That's the deepest level of meaning, of contribution, of fulfillment. And it's not a right. It's not a wrong. We have 21 values that are in our list. It's so powerful. I mean, I can't say enough about how a person be transformed by just doing that activity. Yes. And you know, you gave that statistic that most of us think we're self-aware, but we're not. I'm just curious. I wish I could get a response from the listeners right now. How many of you sitting here right now would be able to tick off your top three or top five values? Because it's my guess that most of us think, oh yeah, I'm really self-aware. And then when push comes to shove, we go, oh, uh, be nice to people, I guess. Tranquility, that's a value. Friendship, that's a value. And I think that just goes to show how not self-aware we are. And there's no judgment on that. It's just that our culture and our society doesn't lead to that, doesn't have us question that. Like you said, that kid, nobody probably ever asked him, what are your values? Right. And what's most important to you. And there's all these social pressures about what you should or shouldn't. There's all these, everybody's shitting on everybody else. Right. And we just want to encourage that you have, only you can live your life. And it's not about, again, getting way off track and you want to seek wise counsel. But here's the reality of today's society. You know this. Every single person has an opinion. Very few people have wisdom. And so I never ask somebody who hasn't been there, hasn't done it. I'm not interested in your opinion if I didn't ask for it. I'm really interested in going to people who have been there before me or getting a coach who is trained, who is skilled, who can ask independent, non-emotional questions so that it really draws out of me the direction that I need to go or consider. And in the end, I have to make the decision, does that fit for me? Yeah, absolutely. So to kind of sum some of that up for the listeners, the first step maybe would be to become self-aware. Look at some of those values. Decide, who am I? What do I value? And am I living that? Then learn more about their own personal style. Learn how to identify the styles from others. Learn how to style shift, which then increases your efficacy as a leader, as a friend, as a communicator. So you actually have a better life. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. And then we talked about paying attention to the clues in life as far as your interests, gifts, and talents. What are the things where you just get energized? So forget the negatives, forget the neutrals, start paying attention and then start creating a journal of all those events and times and places where you just are energized. Even if it's a five minute like segment in your life today, start paying attention to that. So when I wrote the autobiography, I worked back and then I, we create what we call a word list, a template that said, here are the 16 core words that represent my life. And it's interesting. I would say 95% of my life is represented by those 16 words that we distill down to. It took me six months to get to them, but that's the process I have in the quest for purpose book. Now, would it be okay to share the gift 
location yeah. right now? Oh, I, I want you to share the gift and I want you to share, you know, your website and all of that amazing stuff so people can start checking you out. Well, checking me out. Okay, well, there we go. So <laughs> first of all, we're going to, and because yeah, it's so kind to have me as a guest, I'm going to have every single listener, we're going to give you a free gift. And that gift is found here at my um, personal website, Ken Keys, K-E-N-K-E-I-S dot com slash Laura. I don't know, L-O-R-A. I don't know how we came up with that. And so that is a hidden page there. And you are going to get a full ebook of my quest for purpose book. I'm so I'm giving my $30 book away free to you so that you could start engaging and doing it. Now I want to hear back from you on all that information. Now from that, you could also go to our CRG site, which has all the assessments and everything there called CRG leader, L E A D E R.com. And you know, my other books like one or two more like me, deliberate leadership, etc. transforming leadership. Those are all available there. And we love to hear from you about you know, how this is working. Of course, you've been through the book, Why Aren't You More Like Me, already. And so again, you thanks for reaching out. And it, when I got in front of this information way back in the 80s, it was transformational for me. Uh, we don't hire anybody without it. We don't interact with anybody without engaging it because it's so powerful. It's sort of like oxygen. It's that important to life. And uh, my encouragement is, is that you just listen to it over and over and uh, to the show and take the steps to go to the next level. Cause every single person is worthy. Every single person matters, but if you don't own your own space and take responsibility, then nobody else will. Thank you for saying that. That's wonderful. And yes, listeners. Oh my gosh, go download his book, the quest for purpose. I mean, after all you're listening to a show called build your dreams and live your sparkle. And this book is going to help you build your dreams and live your sparkle by helping you get in touch with what it is you really, really want to do. So please do that. And then I just have to put in this last caveat before we um, close. When I first was introduced to this work, I incorrectly assumed this was just yet another personality style indicator. And I thought, oh, well, that'll be fun. I love learning about me. And then I thought, oh, this is so much more than just another personality style indicator. So if you are under the impression that, oh yeah, whatever, no, 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 it's more than that. And I highly encourage you to take his test, learn more about him because it truly will change your life. So listeners, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here today. Please go download his free book. Thank you so much for being on my show, Ken. It was a joy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And listeners, as usual, have a fantastic week and don't forget to flaunt. Tune in next time to flaunt, build your dreams, live your sparkle with radio host Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 radio network. Come release self-judgment, reveal your naked self-worth and re-choreograph a life filled with joy. Flaunt. Find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Find out more at laurachedle.com. That's L-O-R-A-C-H-E-A-D-L-E.com. 